2 Corinthians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, and that is properly rendered slaves. King James writers didn't seem to want to use that term. Ourselves your slaves for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. I remember when that happened. I shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now here we read that uh, through the through the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of of the Spirit, we are taught that that God says that lost people's minds have been blinded by the devil. Now that's a if God says it, it's a fact. If you're lost, understand that that the light shines in darkness and yet you do not comprehend it because Satan has blinded your mind. What a terrible situation. The situation, though, can be thought of as even worse than that. You can turn to John chapter 8, verse 42, where our Lord speaks to Pharisees who were blind, and the devil had them. He, In fact, he said, you are of your father, the devil. So he's pretty clear about it. And he says uh, in verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. And you need to take that to heart. If you don't love Jesus, God is not your father. And the alternative is the, the God of this world. Think soberly about that. If God were your father, you would love me. And a moment of time, I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And it happened when God calls me to be born again from above through His Spirit. And I lived unto God and I loved Jesus. It's an instantaneous thing that comes from God to the human heart. If God were your Father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Confirming what Nicodemus said. <laughs> except in a more extensive way than just as a teacher. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Jesus was sent to this world for a reason. And he says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. See, lost people are not only blind, but they're deaf. In a way that hopefully we'll learn. In verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie. He speaketh of his own. For he is a liar. And the father of it. Saved or lost. If you lie, that comes straight from the devil. He is the originator of all such speech. Even if you're just lying to yourself in your heart about your own condition. I, I feel the devil is involved in that too. 
I didn't mean to talk about these, but here it is. He says, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. If he were lying, you'd believe him, but <laughs> because he speaks a language that you don't know, because you are of your father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies, all you can understand is lies. You can't accept the truth. And I'll, I'll stop that reading there. So what we have in the two passages that I, I took as a, a reading lesson rather than a text, because um, I have a text in mind, is that I want us to consider the kindness and the benevolence of God who truly knows our nature from natural birth as the descendants of Adam and Eve. He only sees clearly what's wrong with us, where we are Enmity itself against his person and against his will and against everything that comes from God. We are by nature the children of wrath. He calls it sickness in his kindness. He, he, he says it's, it's like you're sick. And so we talk like that. We say, well, it's sin sick or, you know, we, we don't have spiritual sight, you know, and, and we act because of his kindness. And so it's a light thing. I don't know that he has words that we could understand to describe the actual state of lost humanity, the ugliness of it, the rebellion of it. The reason why God hates the wicked every day. It's just too much for us to handle. So he couches it in language of love. And he says, you're sick. You're just sick. And he shows through his miracles, which he performs upon the physically sick, an analogy or metaphor to show how he also, and, and the real reason he did it is to demonstrate and make manifest the works of God through the healing of things that we kind of understand, like physical blindness, physical deafness, physical leprosy, physical death. And by curing those, he knows that some people, by the grace of God and the actions of the Spirit of God, are made to, uh, to deplore the human state, the condition that we're all in, and bring us to repentance so that we might be saved. And in the darkness of our heart and impenitent heart, see the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ as we are born again from above and forever changed and made into His likeness. I had in mind, and I doubt that I will have the time to do it, a passage that after I was saved and I came to my, uh, my family, which were very devout in their religion. I know of none, none more truly believing in what they believed, which was so-called Church of Christ, Campbellites. And I told them about being saved. And, and I remember my mother, like it was yesterday, on her, on her front porch and, and Jan and I were sitting there and, and my dad was there with her. And, and when I started telling her about, she, she stopped her ears with her heads and walked off. Could not take it. And eventually it was she or someone else of that religion that asked me, or actually they told me, that I could find no incidents in the Bible where someone was saved like that. <laughs> I 
And I said, it's full of people being saved. Well, just show me one. Well, that's a, that's a righteous request. He, you know, he says, don't take any one man's witness for it. But at the, at the mouth of two or, or even three witnesses, let every word be established. And so, so I took three, <laughs> three examples amongst many of people during Jesus' physical ministry here on earth that he healed and saved. Now, there were some that he just saved, that, at least as far as we know. Well, he did cast, I don't know. There was a woman that was a sinner that came weeping at his feet and he just saved her. He forgave her sins. It was done. There was a thief on the cross. He did not heal him, but he saved him and, and he'll be healed totally one day. I think those two live even though their souls so-called under the altar and that they live and reign with Christ to this day. And yet they are awaiting something that I hope to get into. So here they are. Without further ado, so we don't have much time. Familiar stories, but, but I'll speak them because these are witnesses, not of mine, but God placed them in this book. All these people, I believe, were saved by Jesus at the time of the events recorded. We just continue on in our reading of John chapter 8. And we get into what was at the end of a, a long and fairly uh, heated colloquy between the Pharisees and others at the temple and Christ while he was there in the temple. And, uh, and in verse 56 of chapter 8, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Now here's, the, here's Satan talking. They then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Truly, <laughs> verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. It did that inscrutable word reveals, I think, uh, who is that blessed and only potentate, King of kings, Lord of lords, who only hath immortality and dwelleth in the light that no man can approach to, that no man hath seen nor can see. He's showing by, by the tense of the verbs he's using that he currently is before Abraham was. And they took up stones to stone him. See the difference between light and darkness. Between, <laughs> between death and life. Between lost and saved. They took up stones to stone him. They'd been planning it for a while and finally they thought he had said enough. Because they knew what I am meant. He was claiming to be God. And they were going to stone him. And so it says... But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It's an interesting way how he hides himself by going right through the middle of them. <laughs> Who could do that but Jesus? He just goes through their midst and passes them by. And as he passes by. So from this state of, of being at the point of being stoned to death, within moments, he passes by. And I think he... He goes through the gate, one of the doors of the temple, and he notices somebody. And he doesn't hurry away because they're chasing him with stones. <laughs> He's not afraid of these people. He just knew that his time was not yet. But he, uh, he says, uh, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, some would think, well, he must have seen him before and found that out. But, you know, he... In his physical condescension, he, he may not have been omnipotent, but he had access to all the Spirit of God, and he knew all things, and he knew what was in man, and he knew this man had been blind from birth. 
He had not learned it earlier, I don't think. Because if he had learned it earlier, he would have done something about it earlier. That's just how he is. He was blind for birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Here, look at the supposition. Automatic. It can only be the one or the... It can't... There cannot be another explanation for it other than his parents sinned and he's getting the the curse for it or he himself sinned, but he was born that way. So he sinned such in the womb that God afflicted him with blindness from birth. Now, that's what everybody else believed too. In fact, that's what the, uh, the Pharisees tell this person. Thou wast altogether born in sin, is what they eventually tell him. When they've, they've had enough of his witnessing. So that was the, the common thought. Now think how bad it would be to be born blind and to have really no idea. We could close our eyes, but we know we can open them up anytime we want to and see things. Even if we have lost our sight, but we're seeing before in an earlier time of our life at least we have mental images of things we we know what the sun looks like and the sky and the trees and and our parents and our siblings and the ones we love we know these things and we can remember them in our mind as though seeing there's at least some grace in that but if you're born blind you have people describing things that are completely unimaginable to you you cannot begin to understand when they talk about the sun What does it mean? What does that mean? The color blue. They have no idea. The colors, what does that mean? What does it mean? What is it? Well, a tree looks like this. It's got these leaves. That doesn't mean anything to them. They're they're blind. They can't see a thing. But we read that if you're lost, your mind is blinded. And it's blinded from birth, from conception You are in a blind state. And that came about through the fall, which came about through the devil. You are in that state regarding the things of God. You may be sighted to sin, but you are blind to righteousness and truth. You just can't see it. You think you can, but you really can't. You can notice it with others, you think, but you really can't. He says, Satan has blinded your minds. So you're this person, if you're lost, and you are every bit as much an object of pity and more so than a person who has only physical blindness from birth. Now you're this man and you've, you, 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 you can't do anything. You can stumble around. You have learned maybe to use a walking stick or touch things or have someone guide you, but you can't work. You're a beggar. And that's what he is. He says he's a beggar. Is this not he who sat and begged? He's afraid to walk because he'd hurt himself. But people around him have talked about him. Do you think that these disciples of Christ are the first who have asked the question, was it, was it he that sinned or are his parents that have sinned? Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? Imagine a whole life of sitting there begging and people are talking about you. You can't see them. You can't respond to them, and you don't even really know the answer yourself. You're, that's all you've ever heard. It's either, it's either this thing or it's that thing, but it's sin, and it's, it's either my fault or it's my parents' fault. So sad, you know. And now the apostles show themselves no better. See, we, we servants of Christ are still not Christ in any stretch. No, not even close. Our thinking is still in a body of sin and, and, it's, and, and we don't think right like we ought to. Our hearts may be in the trim, but our flesh is far from it. But then Jesus speaks something this man has never heard. No, it's, it's not him. It's not his parents. That's not the cause of his sin. Imagine you're the blind man and you hear that coming from the lips of someone who never man spake like this man. When Jesus speaks, people hear with their ears and they hear with their hearts. Unless their hearts are so incredibly hardened against him as to be his vital enemy. He hears, what? What did he say? It's not my fault. It's not my, well, well, whose fault is it? (laughs) Maybe he's thinking there's still a fault. 
And certainly blindness would never have happened had there not been sin in the world. Sure, you know, the, the general condition of sin, but as a, as a causal factor specifically to this man, it was neither one of them. He says, Jesus, but that the works of God should be made manifest or, or plainly displayed in him. So a work of God is about to take place on this man that makes manifest how God works on human beings. And it's not their physical blindness. Very few are born blind, and, and a small percentage are made blind throughout life. It's those whose minds and hearts are blinded to the glory that shines all the time, has shined from day one of the creation when he said, let there be light. And light was the shine before the stars of the moon were made. That yet shines. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. What a sigh of relief. You know, Jesus had just been saying in the temple, I am the light of the world. And what does he say? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Your mind may be blinded, but if you follow Christ, your pathway will be lit. He's the word of God. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my way. And surely he is. He has led me in the paths of light. Because the more I read about him, the more light I have in my heart. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We read in John chapter 1, he says, In him the word of God was life, and the life was the light. Amen. The, the illumination that, that reveals to us the glory of God and the wretchedness of sin. But he's going to make manifest through this physical blindness how God cures spiritual or mental blindness in lost people. So lost people need to pay attention. He makes it simple for us. And he talks about the necessity of it in verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. He's getting close to the end. It's a long way from the end of John, but it's not long from the end of his life on earth. His crucifixion is approaching pretty quickly now. And he knows this. And he, 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 he's looking for it. He says, oh, I wish that it were accomplished. He wants, he wants it over. But by the same time, he's, he loves the people of this world. He loves you. He loves the people of this world. He came to save. I did not come to condemn the world, he says, but that the world might be saved. He wants to save you. He loves people. He loves helping sick people. He loves helping so-called sin-sick people. Hey, i got to work these works while I can, while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. And I take that to mean the end of his earthly ministry, as we call it. He'll send his paraclete. He'll send the Holy Spirit down here as a substitute. But he longs to be back. To him, it's just a matter of a couple of days. And if it comes soon, then he'll be back. They is, is a thousand years, a thousand years of the day. If he goes back quickly, 2,000 years after the ascension, there'll only be a couple of days to him. Even that doesn't seem much to, the, <laughs> to he who has immortality. While it is day, when I got to do it, because the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I mean, the lost people here now, he's just talking pure glory here. As long as I'm in the world, I like it. I reveal the truth of God in, in every word and every motion. Everything I say, everything I do makes manifest the will of God, the, the will of my Father. The Son does nothing except what the Father shows him. But the Father shows him everything. So, so he makes the works of God manifest in all that he does. And even in this blind man, he does it. So he says, and when he had thus spoken, he spat upon the ground. He made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, sometimes he just says, 
you know, you're healed and, and, and they get their sight back. Here he uses a, a, a means, probably particular to this person. He was pretty new on the scene with Christ. I don't think Christ had met him before. Like I say, he probably would have healed him had he been there before. But now he's here. He's not running from the Jews. He's just, he's dealing with one person at a time. That's how he deals with you too. He deals with one person at a time. That's how he saves people. It's one person, one-on-one with Jesus Christ. That's where you got to get. You may think it's a doctrine. I'm telling you, it's a person. It's a holy God. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous. You come to him. Well, he's up in heaven. You don't have to go up there and bring him down. He's right through the Holy Spirit. He's near to you. Even in your heart, in your mouth, you can, you can just reach out with your heart and find him. Though he be not far from any one of us. I think he made the clay, perhaps. It was thought, once upon a time, that saliva had a, some type of an effect on eyes. It helped. It was a palliative of some sort. Maybe beneficial. I don't know. But he mixed it with earth. He put something on there that I think may have been thought by the Lord to have given him some object of faith, something to make him think something had happened. Because he's about to send him away to the pool of Siloam, right? Is that right? Yeah, Siloam. And so he's about to send him away to do something, to wash in the pool. And maybe if he's got, he's just thinking, okay, I, I got I to get down to the pool of Siloam and, and wash this. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to help me. He said he's the light of the world. I've heard about light all my lifetime. And I have no idea what that's like. Maybe I can. I mean, I heard his voice. It's like it just reached down into me. It reached out of the darkness like nobody's voice ever has before. I think I can trust this man to, to mean good for me. If he put this stuff on my eyes, he meant it for good. I'm going to do what he says. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. He says... Uh, he put it on his uh, blind man with clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, Siloam is a, <laughs> it's a complicated word or name for that pool. It has to do, in its very origins, with the word Shiloh. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 50. When Judah, I mean, when uh, Jacob is blessing, I'll call him Israel by that point, is blessing his sons. And he gets to Judah, and he says, uh, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, uh, nor a lawgiver from between his legs, until Shiloh come. And then he starts talking about how, how, how Judah will, uh, will wash his clothes in wine. <laughs> you know, and that's a, you know, you can read that in, uh, in Isaiah, talking about who is this that comes, you know, with, who's red in his apparel, and you know, and it's, it's the Lord. This is a reference to Jesus as being through the lineage of Judah, the one who was prophesied to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob saying, he's coming through you, Judah. That's what he's talking about, Shiloh. And the tabernacle is at Shiloh for a long time until they corrupted the place. And it's also spoken about I think it's in Isaiah where he says, you review the ones up in the northern kingdom that were trusting in men. And he says, because you've refused the waters of Shiloh, which, which flow softly. Meaning you refused the Lord himself and you've chosen men. You put your, your, your faith in an arm of flesh. Then calamity befell them. There was a pool. It was a spring. It was outside the walls in Hezekiah's time. Sent from God, without a doubt. I think springs and things like that are for the benefit of mankind, and they have always blessed people. Whether they're hot springs or cool springs or minimal springs, drinkable water from the earth just gushing out. It's emblematic of, of living water, if you will. And it's, it's a blessing to mankind. And there was one there on Mount Zion, and, and Hezekiah had him dig a canal that, starting on two ends, and it brought it down inside 
the town, just south of where the temple is, and they called it Siloam. It was just a gradual change of names. But it meant sent. The original spring was sent by God to bless them. And then through the king, it was sent through an aqueduct underground where the enemies couldn't get it, but Jerusalem had water even in the time of a siege. It was sent. And then Jesus who says, he who sent me, okay, in the previous chapter, he was sent. And sent to this man. And sent to you through the Spirit. He sent And he sends him to the sent pool. I mean, these are no coincidences that these words are what they were. It's talking about God's mercy, sending merciful things to people so that they can be helped and so they can be healed and so they can be saved. Jesus was sent to this world and he says, I came from that place to save. That's why he was here. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Which, and see, I know this is referenced because he, he didn't have to say it. Siloam was a word that we Gentiles wouldn't know much about. So he, he, he has it written. It's not in the margin. It's in the original text. Which, by in, which is by interpretation sent. He wants us to do some study work like I've had to do to try to figure out what that means. And it says he went his way, therefore, and he washed and he came sin. Now you may say, well, that cured his eyes, but what about was he saved? I don't have time to go through the, this whole discourse that takes place between he and these Pharisees, whereby he shows immediately by his very words that he has spiritual insight that they have not yet attained to. It's clear. And then it says uh, they had, that they cast him out of the synagogue. You know, now here he just got, you know, healed and it's like, what a wonderful thing. But because they didn't like what he had to say, because all he did was talk about good things about the Lord. He would never say a bad thing, nor would he let their bad things stand. They kicked him out. That's men for you. And uh, they tell him in verse 34, he answered and said to them, or they answered and said to this blind man, that was altogether born in sin. They showed their opinion of why he was blind. And, uh, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, that tells me as soon as he heard, he started looking for him. And then he found him. And when he found him, he said unto him, so he's going to comfort this man who's been kicked out of the religious services. Can't go there, they said. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? The, blind, the formerly blind man answered and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? He is willing to believe. He had heard that voice. He recognized it. He heard it. He hadn't seen him. He went down to the pool of Siloam before he got his sight. But now he hears the voice again who, who had touched his heart, who he believed in. He trusted. You tell me who he is and I'll believe in him. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus said, Thou hast both seen him just now. And it is he that talketh with thee. (laughs) And just in this answer, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And we don't read where Jesus stopped him. You know, you can't worship God if you're lost. Whatsoever is not of faith, It is sin. God is not going to let sin worship Him. He'll let sinners go to Him, but they can't worship Him because He's a spirit. And you can only worship Him in spirit. You you think, and people think by these actions of the flesh that we can, but we cannot. So anyway, witness number one. I've got to move on. And can't see time and I don't I still haven't gotten a better from my watch let's turn to another one found in uh, Matthew I think Matthew chapter 9 oh yeah 
Matthew's account is brief, and that's the reason I chose it for time. It's also in the other synoptic gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we read, and, and Jesus entered into a ship and passed over, it means the Sea of Galilee, and came into his own city. Whoop, I got that wrong. He had just come over the Sea of Galilee from having done something there. And he came into Capernaum, is where he lived. And behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy. That means he was paralyzed. And we read the story where he had four friends. And the four friends put him on a bed and they carried him like a stretcher to where Jesus was in Capernaum. Because I think he wanted to go. And I think they wanted him to be there. They wanted him to be there because he was paralyzed and they had heard that Jesus healed everything that was brought to him. He, multitudes were brought to him and he healed them all. It says that on more than one occasion. I mean, there was just no limit to, <laughs> to the kindness he showed, even to the, the weak thing of us, our flesh. And so they wanted it. It's like, here's this miracle worker. He's back in town. Here's our friend. He's paralyzed. Can't do a thing. Helpless. Let's take him to Jesus. I think Jesus is going to help. They had faith. Jesus commends their faith. The man also had faith, but of a different type and in a different object. He had a different desire. And I believe that too. So they come to the place and they couldn't get in. There was, there's a multitude of people around and, and they tried to go over the door and they couldn't get to the door. And, and so they go up on the roof and they, they tear the tiles of the roof out and, and open up an opening and they must have had ropes and they let the man down into the midst of the synagogue where he was teaching or house. I can't remember which. And there he was. Jesus was, and the man was looking down at him, and everybody else must have been looking up and thinking, what on earth is going on here? Can you imagine that happening right now? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? But anyway, uh, well, it'd be great if Jesus were here. And he is through the Spirit. I don't want to say he's not. So, uh, so he was in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord sees him. And Jesus, seeing something we can't see, he sees their faith. I think that means not just the faith of the four that bore him, but all of the, the five of them. The five involved persons. Here's the, the diligence of these people to tear down a roof to get him in front of Jesus. I mean, so many, he just has to walk up. He, you know, he has to go out seeking some of them, but some are brought by others. Lost people are brought here by their parents or by their fiancés, or by their husbands, or by their wives, or, or by their friends. They, they bring them to church because they hope that Jesus will come to the place with a blessing in his heart for them. Is it not so? I remember when I was saved, I'd said something to the person whose testimony was the genesis of my seeking the Lord, that uh, how amazing it was that that I, out by myself and away from all these churches and stuff, that God had found me and had mercy upon me. And he did not deny the, the amazing truth of it. But he said, no, no. He said, brother, there's been hundreds of people praying for you for years because I've been asking them to. The people of my church, and it was a lot of folks. He said, they've been praying for you for years that you'd be saved. And my wife. And I, unbeknownst to me, if she told me she was praying for her, I would have told her to stop. But she did, and I couldn't have stopped her. She had been praying for me for years. So I was born of hundreds, I think, to Christ. See how this works? That's why he leaves us after he saves us. He leaves us in this world to try to do what little good we could do for people. We can't save, but we can pray that the Savior will behold the pitiful state of the lost. He does. So uh, he sees their faith. He says to the one sick of the palsy, son, that's an endearing term, son. And he was right then and there. Because what does he say next? Be of good cheer. Thy, thy sins are forgiven thee. I tell you what, when your sins are forgiven by Jesus, you're saved. That's the total definition. That's, that's it. If you're still in your sins... You're not saved. If he's forgiven your sins, you are saved. And he gives us knowledge of sins forgiven through the Spirit. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits 
that we are the sons of God. He said, son, a term of endearment to this poor man. Be of good cheer. See, now this isn't in some of the, I, I like this, be of good cheer. That's the exact thing he told his apostles. He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's nothing to me. I've, I've got that all in hand. Don't you worry about that. Just live through the tribulation. There's coming a day when you won't have troubles anymore. Now notice, his paralysis has not been healed. And I think it's important for us to, to cogitate, to think a little bit about that interval. I, I wrote down a thought. I don't know if I, yeah, I wrote it down here. <laughs> we need to consider the interval, however brief. It was brief in this case. Between the taking away of the guilt of sin and the removal of its punishment. This man's sins had been taken away, but he was yet paralyzed. There's many people that have been saved and yet kept in a, a pathetic or unfortunate physical condition. Jesus didn't walk in the world in, in his flesh and blood body and doing all the glorious things he did at this time. Nor is he healing miraculously to the extent that he did that we can read about here. He may be doing it because the world's big, but he's not doing it through faith healers. He might do it himself directly through the Spirit. That's why we pray for the sick. We need to believe that he will do that because he does. But we can't count on it. We can't, we can't say, well, I'm going to take him to Jesus because he always heals everything that's brought to him. Because that's not what's important. What's truly important in this world, it boils down to, it really does boil down to, to finding the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of a search for God. So, but there's something that occurred to me. So most of us, when we're saved, we are left in the state physically in which he, so the, so the uh, whatever I wrote, the removal of the punishment. Paul talked about that punishment. He says, you know, that which I would, I find I, I can't do that. And that which I w wouldn't do, that's, I do that. And, and eventually he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who's going to take me from this? And the Lord takes him. Eventually, he's, he's gone. And so in a sense, the guilt's removed. Yet he's not delivered. We read of a place where Jesus hath delivered us, and he does deliver us, and we trust that he will yet deliver us. And that's looking forward to a day. And I wrote down a scripture that I thought of. I preached on it the other day, or tried to, out of Ezekiel 37, that might bear a quick look, where this army stood up, the whole house of Israel, and, uh, and they complained because of the weakness of their parts. <laughs> he says uh, in verse 11 of that then said unto me son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel behold they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost we are cut off for our parts they had already had the breath from the four winds breathe upon them they rose up and they lived in other words they had been saved but they were still in bodies, bodies of sin he says, therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people. Sounds a lot like son. <laughs> o my people, I will open your graves and bring you, let me see, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I think that's the promised land. That's the land of Canaan that we sing about. It's, it's not even in this world. It's a new world. There's coming a day, and the interval is short between the time we're saved until the punishment. See, even those souls up in that place under the altar, they're still disassociated from their flesh. He did not create us spirits. He created us souls. And souls are constituted of flesh and spirit. And we are disintegrated upon death we are separated from the body and we go to be with him there's no sin there 
But the only body up there is our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> and the first fruits of that resurrection. And he's coming back to pull us up out of our graves and completely destroy the last enemy, which is death, by our resurrection. I think as I was sitting there tonight and you guys were singing and I was trying to of the passage where he says, uh, Paul says, but this light affliction, which is but, now this man had been afflicted. (laughs) He said, but this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh in us a a more exceeding weight of glory. Isn't that right? I I can't remember these things. There's something in living down here in the flesh that works for us a greater glory in the world to come. Anyway, we should ponder the interval between being saved and and when he completely takes away the the, uh, punishment of our sins. He's looking for that day. And we read where all of creation groans for that day, awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay, so here we have now uh, the story, and he's healed him. Again, the children of the devil, in this case, the Pharisees also. That's what he says, you're of your father. I'm not going to mince words when the Lord does it. He doesn't call them that here, but they, uh, they don't say a word. Uh, but they did say things within themselves. But see, Jesus knows what's in man. So he knows what they're thinking. And he says so. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? See, doubting Christ and, and judging him. To judge Christ is evil. To think bad things about him. Unworthy things about our Lord. It's evil. It's evil. Why think ye evil in your hearts? I wonder what they thought about that. Him just telling us what was on their heart. Why do you think that? And they hadn't said a word. Which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk? Well, that's easy to say your sins are forgiven. People do it all the time. They, they do it. They did it to me. They said, they said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of living God? And I said, yes. And they said, well, here, let me baptize you. And they baptized me and they pronounced my sins forgiven. <laughs> well, that was easy. It wasn't true, though. They said it, but it wasn't true. But no one knew that because they couldn't look in me and know whether or not my sins were forgiven. People say it on the radio. I have listened to this on because I try to, when I'm driving, listen to a radio that's got something of the gospel in it. Seldom does it. But they'll say things like, now, if you, I've heard this word for, now, if you just said that prayer, the Bible guarantees that your sins are forgiven. Whether you feel anything or not, you need, don't, don't you doubt what the Bible tells you because, of course, that's the, their interpretation of what the Bible tells them. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. And you can never change that because you said that prayer. Others were taught, well, when you were baptized as an infant, you were brought into the church and the whole church is saved by Christ. I mean, there, there's been all kinds of formulas and lies told by people, some well-meaning but blinded people, the the blind, you know, leading the blind and both headed towards a ditch. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure that's what the Pharisees thought. Well, you can sure say that, but who's going to tell it? But he says, or to say, rise, stand up and walk. Now, if you say that, and then the person gets up and walks, that's not easy. A lot of people can say it. A lot of people pretend that they can, but I've never seen them do it. They talk about raising the dead. Why aren't they out there raising loved ones all over the place? Why aren't they raising uh, their parents and their children that have died or their friends? Why is death still a problem? But these people have the power to raise people from the dead. It's all a lie. But Jesus hits the nail on the head. He says, basically he's saying, If I can tell this man to rise and he rises, you understand that when I tell him his sins are forgiven, that's done too because only God can truly work either thing. Of course, they didn't want to hear that. But he said, arise, take up thy bed and walk. 
And he did. And the multitude saw it and marveled. So that man was saved. His sins were forgiven by Jesus, one-on-one, just like it was with me, just like it was with a man born blind. That's a second witness. And, and brother, I have no idea of the time. But if you want, I'll go ahead and finish this. Mark chapter 5. I preached this once, and I'd only been preaching a month or two. And I had a, I had a, uh, a mission that was as ignorant as I was, so it was easy. I wasn't too worried about, <laughs> about I thought I'd do it all, you know, but I didn't. But uh, I had a title. I didn't, I, I titled it. I thought I'd give a title to it. I don't normally title servants except by whatever scripture they're from, but I called it Blind, Crippled, and Crazy. And it's all about people of every problem just encountering the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving mercy at his hand. So we've seen the blind man. We've seen the crippled man. I guess even those words are offensive to some now. Mark chapter 5. And this is just too long. There was, there was a crazy man. We would call him crazy. That's not polite either, but that's what he was. He was, he was filled with devils. Okay, he was, he was afflicted with them in an extreme way. He was outcast. I mean, this, this area where he was, the Gadarenes or Gadara, was known for its wickedness. But even those wicked people, he was too wicked for them. He was an outcast. They would not tolerate his presence. They tried to bind him with chains. And because of the strength of the devils in it, he, he burst those bands asunder. And the, and the sorry state of him can only be known by reading a couple of the different accounts in, the, in two of the Gospels. But I'll read some of them here. He says, uh, he, uh, he had his dwelling among tombs. He lived in, in graves. No man could bind him, not with chains. Because he had often been bound with chains and fetters. People tried to control, control him and restrain him. And he'd pluck the chains asunder. The fetters were broken to pieces. No man could tame him. It makes me think of sinners that, that get around churches and, and people try to preach this and that. But unless Christ comes on the scene, there's no true reformation. It just looks good. They tried to get them under control, but they failed. It says, always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs. Now, another place says he wore no clothes. He was naked, night and day, living in tombs, crying. I don't believe that the youngsters here that are lost have reached that state. I think I was there when I was 41 years old and, and I felt so desperately wicked inside because I was inside and out. The Lord had acquainted me with that wickedness, made me fully aware of it. And I could not think a good thought I could not hope, I had no hope that he would save me, even though I had begun to seek. I was miserable. This man, probably worse, because he had, maybe I had demons or devils, I don't know, but he did. Day and night, in the mountains, in the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. Now, that's our generation. That's the people out there in this world today. In our country in particular, they're just like, they destroy their own flesh. They try to do things to, they, they think it beautifies them, but it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's like, there's no point. All it is is, it's like flesh upon flesh upon flesh. All they think about is flesh. The devil's playing with them. I believe it. I think the devil's got folks. That, that's all they can dwell on is, is how they look to others or what they, they hurt themselves. They, 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 they take drugs until they're in a stupor or until they die. They drink themselves to death. They, they do all manner of sin. I, I think when I look at it that, that God has taken a look at this country and, and may have given it over, you know, to a reprobate mind as a, you know, as a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people, and that includes the United States of America. This poor man, 
When I first read of him, it's just like, oh, that was me. That's exactly what I was like. It was. But Jesus came. He crossed the sea. There's a storm that the devil whipped up, tried to stop him. He took care of that too. But he goes over there because he had to. He said, I must needs go over there. So he went because this man was there. And, uh, and so when he came, it says that he saw Jesus. This, this, this crazy man saw Jesus afar off and he ran and worshipped him. Now see the difference between the sinful heart and yet even a mind that has a hope towards God Still wanting God, yet in the midst of sin and suffering and, and miserable unbelief, he, he ran to Jesus. I, I can't explain that, but he did. That's what we all do when we reach the end of our ropes. As lost people, we, we, just, we hope against hope that Jesus will hear us and have us and have mercy upon us and save us and, and deliver us from this death in which we now are aware we exist. He ran and he worshiped. And he cried with a loud voice and said, this wasn't the man, this was the devil. What have I to do with thee? See, he can't be worshiping him and saying these words. It's the, it's the, the legion speaking from within. What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High God, I adjure thee, or I'm begging you by God that thou torment me not. You know, we read where, uh, where it said, Thou believest that there is God, thou doest well. The demons also believe and tremble. This, this devil, or the devil's, it doesn't say demon in the King James. I don't know why I say that. Habit, I guess. The devils also believe and tremble. So, well, what does that mean? I think this is an example. They were terrified of the Lord Jesus. Oh, they knew who he was. He says, "We adjure, uh, thou son of the most high God. They knew exactly who he was. And they knew they couldn't do a thing. What was interesting, though, is he had already told them. He says, um, for he had said previously unto them, come out of the man thou unclean spirit. Well, we never read of any other place where he cast out devils and they didn't come out. But here there's the evil that's in this man is so great that for a moment they're able to resist. And they beg the Lord not to send them into the abyss in one place it says. And so he says... What's your name? Who named the angels? You know, Adam, who was given dominion over this world, named the creatures of the earth. And God came down to see what he'd call them. Who named the angels? They didn't name themselves. I think they were named of God. I think Gabriel was named by God. I think that, uh, you know, he's called Lucifer. But uh, I don't know. He was an anointed cherub. I know that. I don't know what his first name was. But uh, I think they were named of God. He's asking what their name is. Their names have probably morphed since they fell, these devils. You know, he's, but he's asking. I don't know why he asked, but he asked. And the man says, Legion, for we're many. It's kind of a diabolical answer, isn't it? It's like, you know, he, he hates being subject to the word of God. That, you know, Jesus could do anything to him right then he knew it. But yet in his hatred of God, he, he says, we're many. You know, talk about how ruthless has he been to this man. And he besought him much. That means he begged him greatly that he would not send them away out of the country. I guess that means to oblivion or to hell. You know, there's some that he's, he's, he's cast down in, in everlasting chains of darkness to await judgment. They're not free. They weren't free at this time. They're in chains of darkness, whatever that means. The ones that left their first estate, whatever that means. And they're begging that that doesn't happen to them. He said, now there was near 
under the mountains a great herd of swine, and the, and the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them, and forthwith he gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. I like what Matthew says. He said, Go. <laughs> That's the only word. He just said, Go. That's what they meant by he gave them leave. He gave them a commandment, is what he did. He said, Go, and they went. Now, whatever that's worth, that's an example of a crazy person made crazy by sin and by the devil and his legions. And yet, Jesus came to him and he came to Jesus. He didn't run away from him. The man didn't. He ran to him and Jesus saved him. I'm going to end this sermon at that point. I know it's been lengthy. I'm surprised I got it all out. I appreciate your patience. This is the last night I'm going to preach here unless you guys extend it. I just have an appeal to the lost people that might be here in this house. You, uh, I've seen you seeking. I've heard you seeking. I've prayed for you. As have everybody else. We've tried to pray with all of our heart, but our hearts are weak, you know. In the midst of that, there's weakness. Even at our best, we're, <laughs> we're weak. It won't be our prayers that save you, and it truly won't be yours either. Jesus saved all these people, and many, 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 many more has he saved. He does it himself personally. He does it individually. I don't like to use that word. I, you know, but it means it. Truly, I mean in that case, that's a good word. Each person, not in groups, not in families, not by nation, but one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus encounters them. They encounter Jesus. He says a word. Maybe it's live. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. He does everything with a word. Words that we don't hear. But when he says that word, you come to life. And you'll notice it. You'll notice something. I was thinking about it this morning as I thought about this sermon. But uh, it's peace, I think, that we first notice. We've been in agony and suddenly there's peace. We have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. If you don't have the peace, you've not been justified by faith. If you're justified by faith, you have peace with God. One way of looking at it. I didn't see the light when he saved me. But because of my obtuse unbelief, I had to ask him if he had saved me. And when I asked, he answered with light internal light. I, most people don't see that, but that's fine. I mean, I did. I did. I only had to see it because I was so obstinately unbelieving. I just could not hardly believe that he would have saved me. And then he showed me the light. I don't know what to say. I did. It was all in me for quite a while. There is nothing like getting saved. And it, it doesn't just change you hear, even though it changes you here. It doesn't just change how you think, even though it does. It, it sets you on a path of destiny. You may not have had a destiny before you started. Your destiny was hell, but he set you on a... He, 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 he predestined you at that point, to being conformed into the image of his son. To one day being the bride of his son. He, he adjusts your thoughts and your heartfelt things. And, and he has mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And he makes you aware of it. It is a glorious thing to be saved. It is a dreadful thing to be lost. You have heard me talk about physical healings and told you that that's just his gentle way of making 
you aware that there's something wrong? He says it's like blindness. It's like deafness. It's like leprosy. But if he were to reveal to our hearts the true horror of what it is to be enemies of God and every godly thing, we read in the book of Jude, ungodly sinners who have ungodly, ungodly, un that's an idea of how God, it is ungodly. It is devilish. It is of our father, the devil, when we're lost and, and he has taught us the ugliness that is himself. Don't learn that lesson too long. You need to escape while you're young, while, you're, while your heart is tender, before you get so far out like me and this crazy man who, who portrays the moral insanity of remaining lost when there's a Savior out there beckoning you to come to the light and live. What foolishness it is to delay a call from... Not from me, but from God Himself, who I can't tug on your heart. But He does. Something is working in there. You would not have come down. Something is tugging down there. Something is drawing you. If He's drawing you to Jesus, you can trust it's not the devil. Those two are polar opposites. You need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. And care not on anyone thinks. Care not that you have doubts. He can, he can resolve all those things as you seek the graces from God, from Jesus. Just, just continue and continue. He, he forgave this man's sins and then, he, and then he healed his lameness. He, he, he took the devils out of this man and then we see him clothed and in his right mind and, and wanting to follow Jesus. And he said, no, go to your family and tell them what great things I've done for you. Oh, what a marvelous thing to be saved. What a dreadful thing to be lost. 